This episode is sponsored by Codecast and Showcase. When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everyone. We are back, and this is episode probably 162, or a little bit of a backlog here at this point. Uh, episode is currently working title Q&A. Might make it a little bit more searchable later, but I'm Matt. That's Mike, and this week we will be talking about some questions that you guys sent in on various social medias and all that stuff. Bunch of questions for a couple of podcast-related questions, freelancing, programming-related questions, whole bunch of stuff. Madly. Me, excuse me, Mike will be answering a few of them. I will be answering them. I'm going to apparently talk in the third person now as well. So Matt will be answering the <laughs> uh, Matt will be answering some of the questions here. But anyway, if this sounds interesting to you, because it should, and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon. Leave a review rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server or share this with your friends. And now, Mike, a couple of, couple of questions here. Uh, more than a couple, a bunch of questions here. So why don't you take it away with the, with the first one there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I sent out a call both on our discord server and on Twitter and we got a pretty amazing response. I wasn't able to fit in all the questions, so I'm sorry to some, some people that didn't get their questions in. Uh, but we're definitely going to do this again. And the other thing is I'm not going to be mentioning any names because I didn't ask for permission and I didn't mention that we'll, we'll, we'll be mentioning them. So in the next one, that we're going to do, I am going to ask and make sure that, you know, I can actually mention people's names and then I can, you know, kind of give you a shout out in a podcast. But for now, no shout outs. I'm sorry about that. But you'll know if your question's asked because I'm going to pretty much ask it the way it's written. So I'm going to start right off the bat and ask the first question here. I think Matt's going to handle this one. So let's do it. What is expected of me after creating a client's website to their specification in terms of publishing and maintaining the website? Matt, take it away. Uh, so this this varies. Uh, it varies a lot. And it really depends on the situation. So let's just go through a typical situation. You go or the, uh, a client comes to you, you go to them, whatever you're having conversations over the phone or whatever. You design the whole project, you build the project, boom, project is done. You put it on some hosting, whether it's your hosting or their hosting, whatever, it's now done. You then effectively been paid and you walk away. The thing is, is that in that client's mind, most likely you're the person to call if something goes wrong. So simpler websites, like things that don't pull from APIs or need to be updated frequently, or maybe are just something like a landing page in HTML and CSS, they don't need a lot of maintenance. And so there's not going to be much there. But the client also doesn't know what's going on. So if the, if the host, excuse me, goes down, they might call you. So we, what we do now is, for the most part, we try to define these parameters up front. So we'll tell people, we have a maintenance package. We have a few of them at different pricing tiers. Here's what you get with them. Here's our response time. Here's our target response time. 
we are a small, like we make it perfectly clear, you know, we are a small company. You're not going to get 24 seven, 365 support like you would with a big company. Just an FYI, that's the way it is. Now, some people would argue that that's bad salesmanship and it kind of is, but we try to be blunt with clients where we're not trying to bring them into everything. Obviously, you have to have some salesmanship, but we have to let these people know that, hey, if I am gone somewhere and my and Mike is gone somewhere and our contractor is gone somewhere, we might not be there. And so you're not going to get the rotating consistent call center that you would with some other companies. So it's just something to keep in mind. Now, we, ha- we, we have had in the past as well, people who, where we have not defined this. And so we've made this mistake where we have not defined this. And to this day, although it's very rare, they will call us and depending on the fix, we will sometimes just fix it. We don't technically have to do that. And realistically, we could charge for that. We sometimes we know the people, so we just do it. But I think the clear thing is, is that you need to define what is going to happen after. Now, the reason why I said it depends on the client situation is sometimes you're going to be giving this to a company that has an internal team. And so they're contracting you because the internal team is busy. You do a project, web app or website, you give it to them, and the internal team is going to be handling that from here on out, period. And so at that point, you don't worry about it. Another thing to consider as well is what you're doing for hosting. So if you're the reseller of the hosting, and let's say you've covered all the branding because you're allowed to in your particular reselling plan, you've covered all the branding of the host that you're reselling, you're now the host. And so they will call you. So even though the person that you're reselling from, whatever it is, whoever it is, if they're if they go down and the client notices, they're going to call you. So that's just something to consider. Now, oftentimes, because the internet's been around for a while, you will, or at least in our experience, we will usually use the client's existing hosting because we don't make a terrible amount off of hosting, but we we do have infrastructure ready to go should a client need reseller. It's really a case-by-case basis. So I hope that helps. Hope those are some pointers that you can use. Define everything. If there's a question, ask it. And in my opinion, and this is totally personal, I mean, all this is a personal opinion, but in my opinion, when it comes to something like maintenance, when it comes to something like response times and IT and support, be clear and kind of drop the salesmanship routine. I know that like some people might totally disagree with that and that's totally fine and you know feel free to argue against me on that. But for me, one of the worst things is is you promise someone the world, it's Christmas Day, they're calling you, freaking the hell out, and now you gotta leave your family thing to go fix something where they forgot to renew their domain name or something and it's just chaos and you can't get a hold of them because like they're on holidays too and everyone's running around clear concise straight to the point things that aren't technical that they can read target times answer times how how big your company is you can even just bring that up and that and hours of coverage whatever you're offering just make it clear concise and available to the client and make sure they understand it Yep. And make sure to charge for it as well. I know you mentioned that, but I just wanted to <laughs> add it oh, yeah, at the end there because yeah. I think I think one of the one of the things that we have to remember is like when we finish a website, let's say that you finished it, like you said, to the client's specifications. You have the specifications done and you hand it over to the client, right? At that point, your contract is done. And if they call you for something, that's extra work that you need to negotiate with them. Whereas if you were to 
already negotiate a con a, a maintenance contract where you host it or you manage their hosting and stuff like that, that's a different kind of relationship where you can then, as Matt said, define everything as much as you can in plain terms and then stick to that as you go because I, we mentioned this before on the work-life balance episode. If you give them an inch, a lot of the times they will take that inch and then a foot and then, you know, three feet and then six feet. So you have to very much define the terms and then stick to the terms. You can be flexible, but make sure you're vocal about being flexible. So what I mean is if you're picking up the phone at 7 p.m. and you you say that you only have eight hours of service, whatever, pick up the phone, sure, but be like, hey, I usually don't pick up at this time. I have some time right now, so I'll I'll, I'll listen to you. Be vocal that you're extending yourself because the next time they call at 7 p.m. and you don't pick up, if you weren't vocal with them, they'll be pissed. That's just the reality. So a little bit – there's a lot to say on this topic. Again, the work-life balance episode, I think a couple episodes behind this one expresses a lot on it. So I'd highly recommend listening to that. But with that being said, let's move on to the next question here. And again, it's another one for Matt because we've kind of decided who's taking what, who's taking the main portions of these. And this is a long one. So – I'll get to it right away. Recently graduated from BS and CS. So I, I'm assuming a bachelor's degree in computer science. Working currently with a company that does mostly WordPress with builders. So like page builders. Built a plan to build a proper workflow with WordPress and GitHub. They are considering it, but no guarantees to get it pushed, which will put me in a position to not be able to build custom themes for clients as well. My question is, I don't want to get left behind and let my skill set only be WordPress. How do I navigate this as well as be able to grow as a developer? Do I side projects? Also, I'm the most knowledgeable dev here. So Matt, take it away. Um, so because you're a recent graduate, you might be stuck here or just in general, you might be stuck. So people will often refer to stuff like that where they say, I'm stuck. And what they usually mean when they're talking about jobs is that they maybe hate the job, but they have to do it because of money. Now, you're a recent graduate, so maybe you are stuck and you this is a good paying job or maybe the best paying job in your region and you need to stick with it. So the re- I wanted to lay that out first because I, I know that some people would say, oh, just quit the job and go to another one. Now, that's totally viable. And I haven't done this, obviously, like I've just been working for our company, but I do know that reading, you know, the odd thread on r slash web dev and other threads and conversations I've had where people will say, don't get, like, don't stay stagnant. Make sure that you constantly upgrade your skills and learn new things and all the rest of it and make sure that you change jobs and, and do, and do that. Like change jobs, constantly go to different places, learn new things. I absolutely agree with the learning part. If you're able to do side projects, go for it, though. So in the context of, let's say you really like this job, but you don't like how well it, how far it's pushing you technically. If you're able to effectively build up your portfolio on the side because you have the time, the expertise, and the money to fund projects, then absolutely go for it. Because that way, you're getting paid well. You know, in this scenario, you're getting paid well. You are potentially going to learn new things if you're able to, to convince the company to go somewhere, but you're also still going to get the portfolio, the portfolio uh, pieces, if you will, or the portfolio parts and the skills that you're going to be able to list on your resume saying that you did these side projects. Now, there's something to be said about, let's say you go into a job where, like you're saying, and it's only WordPress with builders and you decide that you're going to build out a project with I don't know, let's just say uh, Java for for Android. So you start doing some Java stuff. It's very possible that if you decide in the future 
like, hey, I got two, three apps in my in my uh, you know tool belt here uh, in my portfolio now. I'm going to leave this WordPress company because they're still doing the same thing. And I'm going to go and try to find a, a JavaScript or excuse me, a, a Java based, you know, Android app developer, mobile app developer and, and get hired there. Every single company is totally different. And they might say, well, you know, professionally, you were just doing WordPress on the side. You were doing Android apps. We might not like that. But to be totally clear, companies are all different and they'll all not like certain things. It's very possible that you might go to a company and say to them, hey, I'd like to work for you. This is an Android app company. I want to apply here. I want to work for you. And you just get screened out because for some reason you don't know anything about accounting. So, you know, it's hit and miss in that way. So I would say you have to weigh your options between how good the job is, whether or not you need the money, but also what you're able to do. And also, importantly, what you want to do. So everyone needs money at the end of the day, but at the same time, you also need to know and do what you want to do. So for Mike and I, as an example, a real world example, Mike and I have shifted the company several times. We've shifted over to more passive income, then we've shifted over, or we, we've, we've, sorry, excuse me, we started with IT, then we shifted over to web development, then we like started going specifically into certain types of web development, like small business, then we shifted over to contracts, then we shifted over to passive income, and a lot of this stuff has overlap, and a lot of this stuff we're doing, you know, concurrently, and then we shift over to here, and we shift over to there, and then we have new ideas, and we want to make courses, and this and that, and so we're doing that, you know, for our own happiness, but also for the monetary gain, and also our own sanity to keep, you know, skilling up, if you will, or at the very least, you know, keeping up with stuff or trying to keep up with stuff. And that's like, that's like the, that's the reality. So if you're a person that just wants to work for somebody, you can do a similar thing where if you're like, man, I'm sick of this WordPress place. I want to go to, I want to go someplace else. Then you can absolutely do that. But you have to consider there's differences in companies. If you love this WordPress company because they do, you know, four day work weeks, there's no on call, they don't bug you a lot. You really like working with the people. You have to consider, okay, what's more important in this case, my career options or where I'm working? If I'm able to, you know, maybe have a quote unquote boring-ish job, but I really love the environment, then maybe it's worth just doing some side projects and then staying at the job. It really is. It really depends on what you're focusing on. You know, your mental health, your prof- your, your career, uh, your your skills, which is part of your career, all those things really do play a factor. And so you have to weigh them all together. And also, since you said you'd recently graduated, I assume that this is a new job. It's very possible that you could convince them to eventually allow you to do the custom themes. And if you do this for a couple of years or whatever, and then eventually you're just like, man, I, I'm bored of this place. I don't want to go here anymore. Then you can make a change then. You know, unless there's some something in your life that's causing you to have a time limit, a hard time limit, whether it's money, whether it's age, whether it's whatever. You can stay where you're at and be like, okay, I'm going to I want to be here in a certain amount of years. I want to I want to I'm going to be a mobile again, totally made up scenario, but I want to be a mobile developer uh, in five years. I'm doing WordPress now. Okay. I'm going to do WordPress for one year and then I'm going to assess what I, what I like. And then I'm going to think, can I open up my own side hustle thing? You know, can can I do this? Can I do that? Has the WordPress stuff changed at all? Has, has has anything changed at all? How are you going towards your goal? Because goals change, life changes, yada, yada, plans always change. But I think it's important to have little check-ins with yourself and be like, okay, it's been about a year. 
do like a self audit. You know, where am I at? Am I just doing the same image tags over and over again? Am I just implementing, you know, visual composer over and over again? And I just know how to do it in my sleep. Do I like doing that? Do I not like doing that? Do I want to give up the team I'm working with? Do I not want to give up the team I'm working with? It's totally fine to wait, but it's good to have checkpoints where, so you're not worried. You're not like, oh my God, am I stuck? Am I stuck? Just keep auditing yourself every month or every year or every six months, whatever you find is, is the best time. Audit yourself, audit your, audit where you are, and then make choices to do the change. Hey, you know what? I don't like um, mobile development anymore. I want to do WordPress development, but I really want to make my own company. And this company that I'm working with allows me to open up my own my own thing because they have their own client base. and They don't care that I open up a side hustle. I'm going to try to make a WordPress plugin. You go to try to make a WordPress plugin, you try to sell it. Maybe the WordPress plugin flops or you hate build, building it yourself and you need the team. You decide at that point, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm out of here. Then it's like, perfect. Now you know that you don't want to do that but you still have the stability of your job. Or if you're like, you know what? I hate this job. I got to leave. You can also do that. But then you have to consider, do you want gaps in your employment history? It really is dependent on your path. It really is dependent on your path. And so I would just say, do the audits, your self audits, every whatever it is you want to do. Don't be super strict because plans always change. And just, you can move the audits. If you want to do one a year, you do it in the year and you're like, Jesus, like I was really anxious for this like self-audit and I don't know if I should wait that long. Don't. Literally do it in three weeks. Do it in two weeks. And then if you're like, that's, you know what? Nothing's changed in the two weeks. That's two things. Just do it. Just schedule them in. Do a little self-audit and make decisions on that. Mm-hmm. Just a quick word from this episode's sponsors. Mike, it's about time that we talk about this episode's sponsor, CodeCast. CodeCast is for creators and viewers alike. It's a new form of media just for developers. It's designed so that creators can live stream video and code together. Using the player, live stream viewers can watch the caster code and directly interact with that code as it's being written. They can also explore the code base that the caster has shared and even copy entire files or individual lines as needed. There's also a couple helpful optional features in the player called auto follow and diffs. Autofollow makes the viewer's player follow along with the caster as they navigate between their files. And for even more help following along, the diffs feature lets you see what's changed save to save. In addition to the code that's being shared, viewers can simultaneously view the caster's shared media, like a related browser window, maybe a primary monitor, or a command prompt showing the command outputs. If you miss a live stream or want to review the material later, you can do so easily because streams are recorded for easy rewatching and interacting. And on the creator side of things, CodeCast has a unique software called The Studio, where casters can choose a relevant media source like that primary monitor, as I mentioned, and include code bases for sharing. And they can even start streaming right in that software. And best of all, as they work away on their live stream, The Studio will automatically track edits to the shared code base with no additional work. And creators will be able to monetize their work through upcoming workshops and series. CodeCast is a community-focused platform that is structured for developers by developers. So don't just listen to me talk about them. Check them out for yourselves with our link, codecast.io slash HTML, the things so they know that we sent you. All right, Matt, let's talk about Showcase. Showcase is a developer-focused 
social network designed to provide you as developers, the tools to network, find opportunities and monetize your content. And what I want to do today is I want to actually go to my showcase profile and just talk to you about some of the things that kind of stood out to me as being what us developers need in a social network. One of the big things, a tech stack display. So you can actually put any of the technologies that you're working with currently. I've put stuff like Vue.js, JavaScript, Svelte in there. And people that are looking for developers in those technologies can easily go to your profile and find you kind of looking at it like a resume almost more than anything. You can attach your GitHub profile to your to your actual showcase profile. And you can do many other things. For one, one of those things is any post, thread, or blog that you write on showcase, you can actually throw in code snippets directly into it. You don't need to use some sort of third-party code snippet platform like you do with a lot of the other social networks. They have one built in. They display really well, really easy to read and accessible as heck too, which is something that I have trouble with on other platforms. It is a really interesting service. And if you're looking for a place to find like-minded people in the development space, it's a great time to join because right now it's still a closed community. And that provides a really good insight into what it's going to be like in the future and allows you to have the input you need to make this a community for you. So again, it was a closed community. So we actually have an exclusive invite code to allow you to join for free into the community. So go to showcase.com. Showcase is spelled with two W's. And when you're signing up, use our invite code join hat. It's join with a capital J and hat is capital H-A-T-T. So all capitalized for hat. Join is with a capital J. Again, it's join hat. Check it out and let us know what you think. And now back to the episode. Yeah, I like that. I like I like almost all of what you said. Um, the only thing I would say is... You're gonna if you're in an agency, you're in an agency. You're not you're probably not gonna be able to change their minds a lot of the time. Not to say that you shouldn't try, not to say that you shouldn't kind of push them a little bit forward, but a lot of the times an agency is an agency and that's what they're good at. They're good at, you know, doing stuff quickly and efficiently. And the reason they're good at that is because they stick to the same true and tried technologies. So doing the custom themes is great, but your chances of getting pushed through in a big agency are pretty low. Now, having said that. If you want another opportunity, I don't think you should leave an agency right away and then just start looking for another job. What I think you should do is, like Matt was saying, give yourself a little bit of a base. If you just graduated, it's great to have a little bit of experience in a company setting. Get that under your belt. Get that on your resume, whether that's six months, whether that's a year, whatever is up to you, whatever you can handle. But you can also, on the side, just take a look through job listings. Just start looking anytime you want. And now that you have a job, you're not you're not looking for the first one that's available. You're looking for the one that fits you perfectly. Only apply to the ones that fit you perfectly, right? Because now you're narrowing down your competition. Now you're narrowing down your your preferences in development. And that's I think the next always the next step. Now, if you want a way to kind of network a little bit better, if you want a way to find a job that more directly related to what you want to do. I kind of highly recommend going the route of trying to like join the community, join the tech tech community. Uh, we have a perfect example of that with David, a, a constant guest on the podcast. He was going through something similar. He did get laid off. And then after his layoff, he dove fully into the tech Twitter community on Twitter. And he went right into Vue.js and Statamic, these, a CMS and a front end uh, framework. And he only talked to people around that area. 
And after about three to six months, I think, it might have been even less, he was able to land a job through the connections he made in that conversation because he was very vocal about it. He was always vocal about learning it. He was showing what he was doing. And then he would talk to people that were in the industry. And eventually that conversations, those conversations that we had that he had were able to direct him into a role in the position. And he had freelancing contracts through it. So yes, it's a you have to put yourself out there. Yes, it takes a little bit of time. But if you do that, you can find the role that you want. And especially while you're while you have this safety net of a job already, where you're building seniority, where you're building that resume, doing both is a little bit challenging, but can be super rewarding at that point. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. It's it, you know, it. I, I like the, uh, the 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 David example, if you will. You know, he didn't have like he didn't have really an employment gap because he just dove straight in. You know, you have to kind of choose your own path and choose, you know, choose what you're going to do and look around you. Like if you're able to do the Twitter thing, do it. If you think that you're going to be able to get a job quickly because you know someone at some company, then call that person, especially if you're laid off or this and that. It really is up to your situation. And that's kind of what the audits are there for. And it allows you to kind of push forward, push forward without committing necessarily. And then eventually you're just like, oh, man, like. I hate I hate mobile development or I hate tech Twitter or I hate this or I hate that. I you know I, I don't want to use my, my phone for stuff. I want to use my desktop for stuff. I'm going to try to revolutionize UX there or whatever. Whatever it is, there's ways to get there. And I think that trying new things, this and that, and especially with the self-audits, that's that's the way to go. Um Mike is uh, up for this next question here, so I'll I will introduce it. Uh how did you start freelancing? Did you start doing it on the side while working on another industry job? And if so, when did you decide to go full uh, on freelance and work for yourself? And then the second question, which is highly related, is what are the best tips for to start freelancing and how to handle clients? All right. So we've kind of we touched on this a lot during our I think first two episodes of the podcast because we kind of go through where we started and our path our journey. So I'm not going to go too far into it. But essentially, Matt and I, right from college, we kind of went into freelancing together. So we formed a company and we freelanced ourselves out to small small business web design and stuff like that. And although we did have industry jobs before, so both Matt and I did work in the industry of IT, in fact, right before, um, we after college, we decided, hey, we don't want to do that because we had that experience and we didn't like it <laughs> for the most part. And we had the opportunity to actually take over a a web, a web project that my friend's dad needed us to do right off the bat. So he needed, he needed some, some help with uh, his website, which was a Dreamweaver website. This was about seven or eight years ago. It was old at that point. It's even worse now. And we, kind of had to take over and form it into something a little bit more modern. And initially, we were just kind of maintaining it. Eventually, we took it and actually recreated it. But anyway, to go on from there, we got another project with one of my family members and kind of went on from there. So the the main point that I have is we got into web development right away. We didn't have that leap of going from industry to web. So we weren't doing two things at the same time. We were in a privileged position where we were living with our parents, so we didn't have a lot of bills. So it's a little bit difficult for us to kind of give advice on this unless you're in the in the same position. 
because it did take us a little bit, a little while to kind of generate enough income to be able to live off of. And it's still in influx up and down, like Matt was saying. So there is that transitionary period. The best way to do it initially, though, is tried and true, ask family and friends. And the better, like the family and friends that are your family and friends, the real family and friends are going to be willing to pay you for it, or they're going to be willing to refer you to someone that needs something done. So your closest circle is going to be your first clients. And you need to kind of establish that first client network because going on a, going on like an Upwork site is an option. Going on Fiverr is an option. Absolutely. But you have to be willing to work for very little money initially to be, to generate your reputation and to generate your reviews. So, and you have to grind hard because on those sites now, there's people that are willing to work for five, $10 an hour. And it's really difficult to compete with them, even though sometimes their product that they offer, it can be subpar because they're kind of regurgitating the same thing over and over again. That's how they're able to keep it down so low. Uh, They have a lot of reviews and they're up there and a lot of people will go to them first. But if you put out a premium product and if you get better and better and you provide really good customer service on those sites like Upwork and Fiverr, you can establish yourself and you can establish a little corner of the market for yourself where you can generate a pretty damn good income. And from there, a lot of the times what will happen is you'll actually generate that relationship with those clients and you'll move on to bigger and bigger projects as you go. So initially, you're going to start small. Initially, you're going to start with lower paying than probably an industry job. But the idea is if you have that personal touch, if you have that customer service, and if you have that drive to deliver, you can generate a business for yourself where you don't have to worry about, you know, going to a boss for requests. And like we were talking about just before this, having that, uh, having that situation where you're only working on projects that you don't want to work on. So with WordPress, with this, you can work on WordPress if you want, if you're a freelancer, but really you can use whatever framework you want because the client doesn't care. You can, you can do a whole, whole site in React, Next.js. They don't care. They just need the site done. Whatever you can do fastest, whatever you want to do, you do it. They just need the site done. So that's an advantage of freelancing. There's tons of there's tons of advantages to freelancing, but know that it's it's not easy. I want to make this very clear because a lot of people think like, oh, you can just go on these like you know freelancing websites and you're good to go. No, it is not easy. It is something you're gonna to have to grind at. It is something you're gonna to have to get a little bit lucky at, and you're something that you're gonna to have to go through those ups and downs because. If you go into it thinking that, hey, in a couple of months, I'm going to be generating a, 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 a comparable income to my current job, you're probably not just the reality of it, but you can get there. You can absolutely get there if you have that drive. I, be, I believe in all of you. Like, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be like a motivational speaker here at all, but I've seen it happen where someone is just so dedicated to it that they'll get there. Even if it takes them a little while, even if it's really difficult for them at the start, they'll get there. So... Those are kind of my suggestions for handling clients. Matt, I think, touched on a lot of the maintenance stuff in the first question. It's a very similar approach. Make sure you have a contract with them. Make sure you make sure you understand the requirements. Make sure you set out your expectations really well. Always be in constant communication. If there's any issues, there's going to be issues. Tell them that there's issues and tell them that if there's going to be delays, don't leave them in the dark. Just be very open and just just be like a person, you know what I mean? Like don't be a robot, be a person with them because really, and I always say this, the project isn't you working for them, it's you working together on a product that they need that they need completed. And that's the best way to form a good client 
client, uh, you know, freelancing relationship rather than them just forcing you to do something or you expecting them to do something when you don't know if you need something, you need to approach them. If, if you are having an issue with something, you need to talk to them again. It's, it's, it's that communication stuff. Yeah. I like the, like, I like the, uh, look at, or the, the discussing the, the conversation, if you will, I was trying to think of a better way to say that, but discussing, you know, the, the conversing and the open communication. I mean, it, uh, I would say that, like I said, sometimes you have to sacrifice salesmanship and that's for sure lost us clients, but for sure it's gotten us clients. There's a lot of people out there where they don't give a, you know, a crap about, about it, about salesmanship. They're just like, you know what? Like you're telling me this is going to be up all the time, or you're telling me this is going to work perfectly. Like this is not real. And so we'll just say it like it is. And some people will like kind of wince and be like, whoa, what the heck? And then they won't become a client. But we've had people compliment us where I've had times where I just tell people, oh, shoot, you know, I just forgot to do that. Sorry, I'll get on that. And we've been complimented and said, like, you know what? Like, you're one of the only people that will just say you forgot. You won't say, like, oh, this is big excuse, yada, yada. It's just, hey, I forgot to change the date format or whatever it was. Sorry, I'll get on that right now. And it's just a little bit of communication. So, you know, it's hit and miss. It's, you know, it's up to you how you want to present yourself, how you want to present your company. It really is up to you. But that's just how we handle it and that's how uh that's how we do it. Also, one little thing I'd like to touch on as well is why people think freelancing is easy. And this is a theory of mine, personal opinion. I think the reason why people think it's easy is because there's no going on Indeed or whatever job board out there and then applying and going through an interview and doing the doing the multi multiple levels of interview, let's say, and yada yada and all this stuff, you know, going to a recruitment office. There's none of that. It's basically you sign up and you start working. And you're correct-ish in that there's less of that sort of bureaucratic procedure of waiting six weeks, having the second interview, talking to HR, then talking to the technical people, then having a cover letter, then answering this and having references and then having the references like they want them right away or maybe they don't. And then they call the references. It takes a couple of weeks. Maybe there's a recruitment agency in between. So you have to negotiate with them and say, you know what? Like we need $12 off of every dollar you make and whatever. Like obviously that's ridiculous, but sometimes they will like recruitment agencies will have an agreement where they'll say, we need $12 a week off your paycheck or a hundred dollars a week or a dollar an hour or whatever it is. So there's a lot of stuff is the point I'm getting to. And you can avoid a lot of that with freelancing, but think about it like micro job applications. That's the thing is it is less, but you're doing micro and multiple. So depending on how in, how lucky you are with finding a client, you might be doing more micro stuff, which actually adds up to more bureaucratic stuff. Because you're applying to, oh, Bill that runs the local, you know, kids party shop where he does like magician stuff at kids parties. He needs a website for online bookings. He puts the thing up. You're a complete stranger. He puts the ad up. You're a complete stranger. You go on Upwork or you go on whatever freelancing site. You log in. You go to that freelancing site. And then you go – and then you just go, oh, like, um, like, I want to do your site. That's literally a stranger almost like walking up to him and saying, I want to do your site. You got to sell yourself, right? And you kind of do that with a resume through the bureaucratic procedure anyway. And let's say he looks at 15, 50, 20, 100 different applicants – He's not hiring for a long-term partner necessarily who needs to be in the company and ready to dress up like a magician like he does. He's looking for someone to quickly do his website and maybe not even pay for maintenance. So it's a micro 
hiring procedure, but it's still a hiring procedure. And you're you're you you're not, or you probably shouldn't just stop there. You put in your application, your proposal, yada yada, make all that stuff, resume, whatever it is, portfolio. You then give it to that magi- magician, and then you go over and you start talking to somebody else, and they got to do that micro thing again. So that's why I think people think it's easy is because they can quote unquote start right away. They're one hundred percent correct. But you're not going to get work right away, like Mike said. So just uh, my two cents on that. Next question here. This is another one for Mike. Is there a need for a university degree to become a programmer? Okay, this one should be short and sweet. Um, So a university degree, I think, can open doors for you to become a programmer. I think it can get you into some companies, you know, sites especially if it's a computer science degree or something related to development, for sure. But it's not super necessary. Now, I'm not degrading having a computer science degree or anything like that. I think it's great. And again, I I did mention it opens doors. But I think if you don't have a degree, you can substitute that with a couple of different things. One of those being a very solid portfolio. Portfolios are a great substitute because they show you They show an employer not only that you're capable of this, but they show you how you do it. Because in a good portfolio, when you look at the Git repos, you'll see the process of a person's development, which is really, really key. So when you're designing, when you're making your portfolio projects, don't lump everything into one commit. Commit like you would on an actual client project or commit like you would on on a work project. Because that process, like for me, I've done it before. I've, I've hired people. I've looked at their GitHub portfolio and I saw their commits as they went. And I'm like, oh, I like this. And then I saw someone else's portfolio where it's like one commit for 30,000 files. And I'm like, well, this is a little bit more complicated. Like I, w- I would ask that on an in-, in an interview. I'd be like, why did you do that? Whereas the other one, I would, I would actually be in a positive set. I'd be like, oh, I really like this. Can you explain your process a little bit better in that sense? So that's one thing you can do. The next thing you can do is you can network. I mentioned the tech Twitter thing. LinkedIn is another great place. Go on LinkedIn, talk to people on there, post on there, post some information. Go on Twitter, same thing. Talk to people there, constantly communicate. You don't have to post a lot. You don't have to do like a a post a day or anything like that. You just have to go on there, find the people that are interesting to you in the development space and interact with them. That's it initially. And you can establish great connections that way because you're helping them by increasing their engagement and if you're providing very like good insight into the things that they post, they'll be more than willing to reply to you with insight into whatever you post. And that back and forth relationship can stem into a friendship, which is the whole point of these social networking sites. It's it's not that you're just trying to make a huge breadth of uh, people that you want to contact. No, you're trying to make one-on-one connections so that you can enter the field together. You can enter the field uh with some something that is more than just you know sending out resumes or something like that so again just establish the fact that if you don't have a degree it's not a a huge hindrance on you you can absolutely have a great career in programming you can even be a, you know a programmer at a fang company because in the end of the day as long as you can get your foot in the door and become a junior developer once you have that on your resume and you start advancing in that company or advancing up the up the ladder of multiple different companies, like if you're changing jobs, that's all that matters. The foot in the door is the hardest part. Use the advice that I gave you to kind of increase your chances, barring the degree. 
And to add a real a real life story to this, so I know I I was or when we were in college, when Mike and I were in college, we had to do uh, interviews at different companies to try to get co-ops and uh, cooperative education where you basically work there and as a student. And there was one interviewer where I'm not going to name names or anything. But there was one interviewer that revealed to me that he was um, and I'm saying this from memory, so I might be wrong, but he was saying that he basically had like IT knowledge, but he wasn't classically trained. I don't think he went to college. I don't think he did any of that. He was just he just had the knowledge and he was working at, at a Tim Hortons and he ended up getting the job where he was at, you know, the supervisor or the leader or whatever of the team enough to at least interview me. And it was because someone at that company knew him, suggested that he worked there. And now he's, you know, this lead hand or the supervisor or whatever. And he was just working at a Tim Hortons which is a completely different thing. Like you would never say like, oh yeah, all Tim Hortons workers have IT knowledge, right? You would never be able to find that. So that foot in the door of him knowing somebody was a huge thing. And if memory serves, he didn't have a degree or anything like that or a diploma or whatever. So, you know, that's that's pretty cool. That's it, Mike. Yep, it's, uh, it's your question next. So let me read that one off for you. Uh, are there any skills... Teens should learn in advance of becoming a programmer. Uh, so I'm going to try to lay out what I did in high school and again from memory and stuff, but uh, th- I'll try to do what I did in high school and then we can kind of extrapolate that. So what I did in high school was I took business in grade nine, first year of high school, grade nine. Business was actually computer skills, like learning the business programs, like Microsoft Access at the time, Excel, of course, Word, yada, yada, document creation, typing was a big part of it. That was the first part, typing, all that stuff. And then I went into eventually computer engineering at one point, programming throughout any years that I could, didn't run every year, throughout any years that I could. And then I also did a high school co-op being the TA effectively for the business class of the grade nine. So I was in grade 12 at that point, and then I was helping the grade nines do their thing. And then I also was helping a programming class, I think as well, because it was like a mixed class where there wasn't enough students to run one program. So they had a couple different classes like put into the computer lab. So I was kind of helping cross that. And I did a couple of like, computer repairs while I was there and yada, yada. Now, the point I'm trying to make is, is that your school is going to be different. Your school might not have any technical courses. Your student might, your school might have all the technical courses canceled due to lack of attendance, uh, due to lack of attendance, attendance, excuse me. You may have your school completely, uh, you know, go fully into it and they might be super into it. And that way you have a great opportunity to go look at it. I think the biggest thing you can do, especially in high school as a teen is to quite literally just, just get exposure to it. You know, a little bit of exposure in tech of any kind, whether it's technical history, which we which we talked about quite a bit uh, in like, you know, who invented RAM and why is it there and all this stuff, that type of stuff, you know, anything. I was, you know, fixing computers in as a TA in one in one course, like I said, and that was a little bit of computer hardware um, in, you know, knowledge. You will start generating skills at a technical level because, you know, every single job you have to think a little bit differently. And so you'll start seeing how people think, act, react and start getting a little bit of just straight up good, hard skills in the in this thing. So what, what I would say is, is just try to get especially as a teen, I would say try to get as much exposure as you can in high school to whatever it is you can. And if they don't say run the programming course, but they have a similar computer course and something else, I would just do it. 
myself. I would just say, okay, like, you know, I got to cut my losses. I'll go do this. Cause in our courses, we got to choose a lot of our courses at the later years. So that's what I would recommend myself. Now, some people will say, you know, go get a part-time job, go do this, go do that. That's absolutely possible too. try to get exposure wherever you can side hustles, this and that. But obviously most of your time is going to be taken up by high school. And so try to use high school, in my opinion, to your advantage and try to get as much exposure in any way you can to whatever it is you want to do. Programming, computers, yada, yada, as close as you can to it. And that's that's my piece. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's good. Uh, I'll leave it at that. And the next question is also yours. What do you think is the future of website builders like Webflow? Does the more complicated solutions like Webflow trump simple ones like Wix or Squarespace, or do they all continue to thrive alongside each other? Is the market big enough for all the web, for all the vendors? So I'll I'll touch on the the first thing. So I'll touch on the first one, which is what do you think about the future of website builders like like the, or what do you think the future of website builders like Webflow fit in? I think it fits in because there's actually. Um, there's actually a need for things that are in varying degrees of complication within no code. So Webflow is a more complicated website builder. It allows you to do more, more granular things. And so someone who is straight up not a programmer, but might have some exposure to programming or exposure to CSS or whatever could really realistically learn Webflow, try to figure it out, yada, yada, and then be able to do much more powerful things than they could without code on other platforms. Some platforms are very like, oh, I would like a forum. Click the forum. Now the forum's there. What color would you like it? And what's the fonts? And that's all you get. Whereas in Webflow, you know, there's no forums, but you could do something like, hey, you know what? I want these content boxes to have all this text. Oh, now I only want the text to be there in certain instances. So I have to have a filter, yada, yada. And like the list goes on. So you can really make more customizable things in no code. And it kind of becomes this question of like, like, beginner grade to enthusiast grade. Are you technically savvy, but just not a programmer? Then you might be doing Webflow. Are you not technically savvy and you're just a guy working in a um, a small business and you're just wearing the hat of putting the website together? Like you're, the, you're wearing the hat of web developer, but you're really, really not. Maybe Squarespace, Wix, a million other solutions out there, WordPress, whatever. There's a reason why with WordPress, WordPress like if you're a developer and you, if you're like a web developer or a freelancer and you go into something like WordPress, a lot of the code and stuff's already done for you. You're more or less just setting a bunch of the stuff up, but you have the added advantage of being able to customize WordPress. If something specifically goes wrong, you haven't, you know, you have a bit of an advantage of being like, Hey, what's wrong here? We got to fix this, yada, yada. That you also have the added advantage of knowing generally where to look for stuff and whatever. Imagine if like a, one of the apps or one of the plugins in WordPress breaks and you're that person wearing the web developer hat and you have no idea what you're doing, you're going to be in some serious trouble. But with Webflow, for the most part, you're not going to be able to get into that type of trouble. And if you do somehow get into that type of trouble, you can always reach out for support. There's always the forums and all that stuff. And you'll get usually someone else telling you how to fix it within a no code solution or like a workaround without no with, with no code, those type of things. So I think that I think there's a there's space for all of them. Um, I think the space for all of the different types, I'll get into whether if the, if the market's big enough later, but I'll tackle the second question now, which is does the more complicated solutions like Webflow, uh, Trump simple ones like Wix or Squarespace, or do they all continue to thrive alongside each other? Same type of thing for the fit in. So they all have their own specific, uh, you know, they have their own specific 
strengths, their own specific weaknesses, their own specific things, and you get what you pay for. So I realize those questions might sound redundant, but I'll tackle it slightly differently. So for example, if Wix, and I'm just making this stuff up, by the way, if Wix decides that they want to have all their customers, all the websites that they've ever made, like if I'm a customer and I made 10 Wix sites and they 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 want to make it so that I can click a button and export a fully working Android app and give that to Google for Google Play application and I can just have an app now of my website, that's really great. If Squarespace, for whatever reason, again, this is all made up, if Squarespace, for whatever reason, is completely against that and they hate that idea and they don't do it, you're kind of SOL. You might be able to do it with third-party solutions, probably with a bit of code, whatever, right? You might have to look up workarounds or maybe even switch, switch providers, but you're at the mercy of each of these companies. And I think that's what keeps the competition alive. That's what keeps the innovation alive because it goes beyond just using the no-code tools. It also goes with what services they have. There's a reason why... People will, who are completely no code, will literally go to someone like Bluehost, use the one-click WordPress installer, install a theme, install a bunch of uh, plugins that either coincide with that theme or ones that they've read about online, install everything, sign in with all their accounts, and start going. WordPress is is well more, well more advanced in general than a no code tool, and people who use no code will can use WordPress. So it really does depend on like how they're using it, what they're using it for, are they following a guide, what the companies offer, what the companies don't offer. You know, Webflow is like a maybe Webflow is more expensive than the others. So, I mean, good luck getting a discount for like no reason, right? So maybe you have to go to some, someone else, but that someone else has less features. So you have to cut the features. So it, you know, kind of tackling the question from two different directions, two different but highly related directions. There's space for all of them. There's competition for all of them, and they all have differences, and there's enough there. There's enough features and things to play with in websites and web apps that allows them to all be different, not only in their tooling, but also in their offering from the consumer level. Does this person offer apps? Does this person offer this? Does Bluehost have a one-click installer? You know what I mean? Like, it's starting, you know, and then you start bringing the hosts in. Now it's like, oh, now that I have WordPress, I can bring in a developer. Like, I, if I if I if this website takes off, I can call a developer. Oh, I can take this WordPress install and put it over in a bigger host if I outgrow Bluehost. Great. But what do I do if I outgrow Webflow? I don't know, right? So, you, like, there's so many different intricacies. And so I think there is a space for all of them. Now, to tackle the next question, because it kind of goes all together, is the market big enough for all the vendors? Totally my opinion. I think they're going to start eating each other. Um, maybe we'll have three pillars, if you will, where there's Squarespace, Wix, and and uh, Webflow. And those will be the pillars. And then they'll start eating, you know, literally buying and merging little companies that they like. Like, oh, I really like that RSS reader. Whoosh, take that, you know, take that service. And then they buy it, implement it into Wix, buy it, implement it into Webflow, something like that. I think you might see some of that. But I will say this, is that there's things like Couch CMS, Couch or October CMS, Typo 3. There's there's tons. There's, there's multiple visual page builders in WordPress. Like there's Beaver Page Builder. There's Visual Composer. There's Elementor. So we're talking about like the market is there's the whole market and then we cut it into WordPress. So that's a segment. And then we cut it into plugins. So there's a segment. And then we cut it in <laughs> like so there's so much market available that I think that maybe eventually we'll see them start to swallow each other. 
but I still think that there's a lot available out there to, to download and use. And also, I'd like to point out, if you're ever looking for some random feature, I don't know, you're trying to read RSS feeds, you're trying to read the open graph data on pages, you're trying to do this and that, 90% of the time, you're going to find a random NPM package that hasn't been updated in two years that still gets 100 downloads a week. Because some person found it, likes the tool, uses it, and that's it. And that's not something that's on any of the big big uh, uh, service providers radar that's going to get like taken. But it's something that might be super crucial in like a huge site. It might be something super crucial in like a Microsoft site or something. And it's because it's just a good tool to use. So there's lots of market. I can see it consolidating like maybe in the future, especially like you'll have the three pillars or the four pillars, right? But I think it's big enough to not necessarily swallow everything just from what we're seeing. That makes sense. I think I think I think you nailed it right on the head. Like I I I think there's plenty of room for even more for now. Because web development, and I say this a lot again, is like the Wild West at this point. It's not solidified yet. There isn't this one, you know, technology that you use for all web development. There's so many things, and we'll talk about it in the next question here, but there's so many things coming up. There's like card. It's another page builder. There's there's so many that we didn't even mention here that mm-hmm. are really, really good. And that could, you know, become big in the market. And there's probably some that are being built right now that are going to be taking over Webflow and all those things. So, yes, I think there's p- still plenty of room in the market as well. And I think you nailed it uh, on the other explanations perfectly as well. So, yeah. Well, the one thing I'd like to just throw in there as well is you have to remember, too, with web development is that. Some of these things that are rather advanced are run by one person or two people or three people. And so there's a difference in that. Let's say you want to run, you want to make your own operating system and have that operating system offer to millions of people. I mean, you're going to have like operating systems are difficult. They're hard to distribute. There's there's a massive market already for them. More or less, it's Mac, Windows, Linux. Linux has a smaller cut uh, in terms of consumer stuff. Linux has a smaller cut. Uh, Mac has a certain cut. Windows has a certain cut. Good luck having your OS push in there. Yep. But here's the thing. With a smaller thing, if you really like card, I believe card is run by one person. I yes. think it is. AJ, yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. Here's the thing with that. AJ, and, and I'm just assuming his finances, AJ doesn't need 10 million a month. He doesn't even need 1 million a month. If he's making 6,000 a month, he's doing great. People live all over the damn world. If you're in a country where $6,000 is like the like a high wage for the year and you make something that has 500 users and they each pay a certain amount of money per month in, in like a SaaS and it's just 500 users and you're making 10 grand and 6,000 was a lot, you're laughing. But Webflow needs a lot of money to keep sustained. Same with Squarespace, same with Wix, big teams, big ideas, yada, yada, of course. But these smaller things, like Mike and I have talked about this several times, there comes a point where, like, yeah, we're always trying to grow. We're running a company. You're always trying to grow. But if we had an opportunity that came around that was like, here's $20,000 a month, are you? Are we really going to try to branch out? Like, like maybe a little bit, you know, especially if you're like, oh, I don't know if this is going to last. Of course, right? You have to look at your situation. But if we had a super solid 20 k a month thing where Mike and I split that 10 k 10 k and then you have to pay your piece to the government and you keep your you keep enough to like, are, are we really going to branch out? Like, are we really going to try to go find more and, like, add more headache to our plate? Like, you know, some people would to try to make 40K, 50K, 90K, 100K a month. But I don't think Mike and I would. And and there's a lot of people out there where, like, they're fine with a couple hundred a month, especially if it's a side hustle. 
So there's just something to consider there where you don't need a Titan in the web dev space, at least not yet. You don't need a Titan yet. Yep. And whether that happens or not, you know, it remains to be seen. Next question, though. Mike, are there any new technologies in the web development space that you are excited about? Yes, there's plenty of new technologies that I love to use right now and that I'm kind of waiting for. Uh, so technologies that I'm using right now that are, I would consider new, Svelte, fantastic front-end framework. I've, we've talked about it. We have an episode on it. Highly recommend you listen to it. Uh, it's it's just really simple to get into, and it, ha- it does everything that those major players do as well. So it's a great new technology, I would say, that I think will will be big. Like that, I have a feeling. In the UI side, Tailwind. New-ish, again. Great UI framework, honestly. There's so many, there's so much stuff built on top of Tailwind. Uh, I use this UI component library called uh, Daisy UI. Fantastic. Like I can build quick side projects, no problem, all responsive. It's kind of like, for, for me personally, it's kind of like a better version of Bootstrap. But obviously, like this is a preference thing. Uh other technologies, WASM, so assembly assembly in the web, essentially, allowing you to do crazy amount, like crazy video encoding, low level, low level rendering, stuff like that on the front end or the back end, and be super performant and have multi-threading, all, all that great stuff. Fantastic technology. We have, we don't have an episode on it yet, but I'm planning on doing a deep dive at some point. So stay tuned for that. We do have some internet technology episodes where I mention it in more detail, but regardless, really cool technology. Uh, another one is Flutter Web for me. Flutter is a cross-platform development la- development tool. It uses Dart as its programming language. It was designed by Google. It allows you to, right now, it allows you to build for iOS, Android, and the web, all from one code base. And the web... On the website, it's released, but it's not great. It's not SEO friendly. The performance isn't fantastic. Uh, it's a little bit accessibility wise, it's not very good. So there, there's a lot of shortcomings. You can get your project out there. You can get like a very basic, you know, web app working, no problem. It has the functionality that you need. It's just not there to be on par with HTML, JavaScript, and CSS. But I have a very good feeling that they're going to push it there. And it's going to be a really, really cool, uh, a really, really cool thing for all of us. Because again, the one language for everyone, for all different technologies, I think is a kind of a game changer. And I'm betting, I'm betting pretty heavily on Flutter. If if I could bet, like in like you know one of those boards, what language is going to do well or what framework is going to do well, I would I would put some money down on Flutter. Um, So those are the high overview. There's some AR. like VR, AR stuff that I could talk about, but really like that's, you know, I, I still think that's super far into the future in terms of web development being a big thing. So those are the ones that are immediate, in my opinion, the ones that are like kind of cutting edge technology that I'm really excited about. Uh, I don't have a comment because I'm, I'm working on a piece of software that's so old in nature that, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no Mike problem. knows what I'm talking about. I'm not going to get into it, but it's a uh, pretty old in it's still supported and everything, but there's a reason why we got to work on it. It's for a client thing. I'm not going to get into it, but I, uh, I'm glad you're f- excited for something, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah. I got to take, I got to be on the bleeding edge here. One of us has to, right? <laughs> there's no choice <laughs> for the podcast. Uh, but going to ask you this question next, any advice for someone from it that wants to 
who studied a little bit of CS that ended up in a laborer job, so like hard labor, that wants to get their foot in the door into the web development or development industry in general, preferably entry level. Matt. Yeah, so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna assume that th- that you've basically you know you said you're from IT and you studied CS, so computer science. You don't have a degree yet, or maybe you're not in the, the program anymore, um, and you want that you want that foot in the door. Now, I think that entry level, like at least you're shooting well, like you're shooting at the right point. I don't know how high your IT skill is, so I'm just going to assume that you, you're like, let's say moderate IT and like level one, two, let's say, if you will. I know there's some variance there too, but anyway, let's say level one, two and the computer science, I'll just say, I'll just like make that negligible. Um, and except for pointing out that you're interested, obviously, in this industry. Now you're in a labor job, so I'll assume you're probably in like a factory, just like working, doing whatever type of, you know, general labor or whatever. Honestly, I think the I think it's going to be, and this is totally my opinion, it's just going to be uh, a get yourself out there thing. There's a lot of companies out there, like we've just said, where there are two, three, four, five, six, ten, twelve small, small, small teams. And a lot of them are all remote. And, you know, if you impress one of those founders, if you impress one of those employees, you can become a freelancer for them. You could potentially get a job there. But I think the re- the main thing is, is that, and you're going to have trouble doing this because you are, in, you know, doing labor, is that you are, you know, you're going to benefit, you know, immensely from getting yourself out there. If you're able to show people what you can do and this and that, like, even if you're not trying to be an influencer, if you're, you're saying you're in IT, let's say you, I don't know, go on uh, Azure or AWS and you spin up a server and it can serve certain types of data or you know you're just showing people in a youtube video um or just a video for your own website like a portfolio site where you're literally saying like oh this is how i would manage active directory this is how i would manage 300 users and just fake scenarios it doesn't have to be a real app because you're not a web developer right um and you have it skill and then start introducing some web stuff so you're saying you want to get into the developer industry so let's I'll, i'll assume web development Start using a little bit of those IT skills to sort of push yourself into development. So let's say you have a server and you you're, you have IT skills. So you set up a da- database server. Database is sitting there in Azure or wherever. And then it's just has a list of stuff. Like, I don't know, your favorite foods. Don't care. And then you make a web page that pulls that data. Well, you can make a little tutorial about that. Now, the thing is, is I'm not saying necessarily go influencer level. I'm saying you have your own blog. Let's just say your name is Jim. And you go and you you have, you know, Jim, whatever your last name is, dot com. And that's your portfolio. And you have a blog there and you write like, hey, I was messing around with this and I I got my database server working. Hey, look, look at this. And you can have a video of it. You can have uh, a blog post about it. Do whatever. We know people and I'm not going to get into names or companies or anything. But we know people that graduated from our college program, the one that Mike and I did. It got into very prestigious, high paying, high level or like high uh what would I say? A big company. I'm trying to be ambiguous. A big company in the tech you industry. Could say, you could say it. You could say Can it. Can I? Yeah, you sure? of course. 100% you can say it. Okay. Yes. Well, I don't, I'm not going to say names. They got they got jobs at Google from our from our thing. And, and it was because – one person said it was because they had a website where they would mess around with circuits and stuff. And they – and the recruiter, whether they're from Google or a third party or whatever, the recruiter saw the website and they were like, whoa, that's pretty cool. You know, we need skills like that. Boom. Done. And so, like, really, you can start doing that. Now, it's going to be tough because you're probably going to be tired at the end of the day because you're in labor, this and that. Um, I would maybe, like, 
try to find another job potentially like you could work something where if you're if you're like super fit like i'm not fit if you're super fit and you're fine at the end of the day like you're not super tired and you're able to go do side stuff or weekend stuff go for it you have the time the energy go for it if you don't maybe try to just find a similar paying job or one that at least sustains you that's like you know just working in an office data entry or something so that when you leave, you're not super tired, whether it's part-time or whatever, something that will complement you trying to put yourself out there. Like, like seriously, like people will, people will find that blog if you put it on Twitter or this and that, or if you're more specifically applying. So people aren't just going to stumble upon it, but they'll find that, I should say they should find that, they'll find that blog interesting is what I should say. Um, so if you want to go flow influencer, go for it and people will find it. If you don't want to go flow influencer, like you don't want to do Twitter or this and that, and you just want to have your own, you know, gymwhatever.com, what I would say is, is that, you know, if you start sending people emails and you start getting yourself out there, maybe sending people Twitter DMs, you know, you're not tweeting much, but you're just sending Twitter DMs and be like, hey, like I saw your company and, you know, I, I saw that you guys are having trouble managing your active directory uh, and you want your active directory to go to some web portal. I'm just making something up. Uh, and I really think that you and, you know, I, I built something like this, you know, as a project, like, you know, if you guys are looking for any help or anything, you know, let me know that. And then here's like a link to my blog. And if they click it and that page is nice and they can see it and they'd be like, whoa, this is pretty cool. They might call you. Because the tech industry is weird. It's sort of Wild West still. Web development's Wild West. Tech is a little bit Wild West still. And I think that, you know, you what you need to do is do stuff that you want to do or at least go towards it and get yourself out there at a high level. And those are some of the tips that I would do or I would say personally to get yourself out of the position you are. And like I said, if it's possible, assuming the laborer job is, is making you too tired, if it's possible that... You can find something that would give you more time to slowly get your foot in the industry. Just do it. And also with that being said, just straight up events. If you're actually skilled at a level where you think like currently you could do the entry level position right now, you could go to startup events. You could go to job fairs. You can go to whatever and be introduced to people. And that's literally a foot in the door. They've talked to you. There's no bureaucratic procedure, at least not at, at the forefront. You're literally talking to somebody. You've shared, hopefully, a business card with them. Like, you've given them a card. Um, or maybe if it's a job fair and they want you to bring resumes, bring that as well. But I would just say, really, it's getting yourself out there and ensuring you're in the industry in some capacity, whether it be in a hobbyist or whatever profession, and then or whatever fashion, influencer, hobbyist, doesn't matter. And then build that portfolio up and start telling people about what you're doing. And I think eventually you will more than likely, again, this is all subjective, but you will more than likely be noticed and probably get in somewhere. Yep. It's all determination. It's all the hard work. Like Matt's saying, Matt, Matt went on a long rant there, but it's because it is a difficult process. So again, I, I like to point back to the fact that this is not going to be easy, but it is possible. So we believe in you again, putting on that motivational speaker hat. Uh, you just have to put yourself out there. Just like Matt saying, you don't have to become an influencer. Just like he said, you just need to show that you have a little bit of passion for the industry you have to show that you can do the work that's going to be put in front of you. And it doesn't have to be perfect, but you have to be able to show that you can learn it. And that's it. Just grind, grind away. So that was really good, Matt. Uh, but with that, let's move on to our last little segment here, which is just a couple questions about our podcast, really mostly focused on the intro. And Matt, you're going to answer these <laughs> since you were the director of the intro for the podcast. So Matt, did you hire someone to create the intro? Most definitely. Went on Fiverr, looked through some voice actors slash intro makers and found one I really liked. 
the guy had a um the guy had a uh like a collection of you know this is the ones I've worked on so he did a collection of in- introductions which I presume were for different radio shows and other podcasts and stuff like that and I liked the one and the rest is history absolutely easy peasy next do you think it's important to have an intro like that right from the start of your podcast journey or is that I'm going to add this last part or is that something you need to worry about later oh god we didn't even have that uh we literally went to the youtube i went to the youtube library of like royalty free songs or whatever it is audio library found a song that had a part where i could cut and i literally took a song cut it at some point shortened it and that i put the first part as our intro and the second part as our outro so no you don't need it we did it for fun i thought it was like a production upgrade and I think it is. Some people don't like it. Whatever. I know it's long. This and that. The, it, I basically directed it. Like I told the guy in a in a super long thread. I was like, "This is what I want." And I really liked your this intro. And I really want it to sound like this. And needs to be heavy hitting. And this is what our podcast is about. And here's how you pronounce our names. You know, yada 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 yada. All of that. And he took it and he ran with it. And I'm gonna put his link actually in the show notes just because uh, he was really cool to work with. So, you know, go check him out if you want an introduction similar to ours and or not. He has a bunch of different styles. So go check it out. He has a ton of samples of his work, assuming his Fiverr page is still there. I will absolutely put a link to his uh, Fiverr page in this episode's show notes. Perfect. And yeah, I agree with that. I actually forgot a little bit that we had that music coming in and out of the podcast. I'm going to go right after this episode and listen to it because I haven't heard. Oh, I remember it. Uh, Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, yeah. Oh, classic. Uh, All right. Well, again, thank you, everyone, for submitting your questions. I will for sure be having another one of these. So in fact, if you want to submit more questions, we have a Discord server. Uh, the link is going to be in the show notes, but you can also just type in HTML things Discord into Google and you will find it. Uh, you can join that and there's a podcast Q&A room or thread or whatever the heck you call it in there. You can post your questions in there right now and the faster you post them, the better chance they have of being answered in the next session. Cool. And with that, we will run the old conclusion. So if you liked this episode and like the show and you want to support us, go check out our Patreon. That is patreon.com slash HTML, all the things and many thanks to our $3 tier patrons. Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript on YouTube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrett from Local Path Computing and Web Design on LocalPathComputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on BlueBlackDigital.com. Chris from Selfmade Web Designer on SelfmadeWebDesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on TheWebHacker.com. DL Ford from DLFord.io. Viv Hashnash from 9Block Media on 9BlockMedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via GeekLifeRadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via MCWebStudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via YesWeb.se and Jeff from Twitter via at TheRithic. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.